it's good to be with you this morning. I enjoyed my, my time with you, I guess it was about a month ago now, right? Yeah. Uh, probably almost a month, and, uh, or over, a little over a month. So as you continue to go through the book of Genesis, uh, I'll be taking the next passage this morning. I'm not going to do anything disconnected from that. Uh, Eric and I decided maybe it would be best if uh, we just uh, use this time to continue on. But before we get to that... I do want to pray with you, and I want to read another passage of Scripture. This is from the book of Hebrews, uh, chapter 11, which is a, a wonderful chapter to read. It reminds us of the importance of faith and people that have gone before us that had faith and, and how God worked in their lives and so on. Uh, we read in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, Now without faith it is impossible... That's, that's the key word. It is impossible. It doesn't say it's, it's slightly difficult or somewhat difficult. He says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. Since the one who draws near to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Then I'm going to drop down to verse 8. By faith, Abraham, this is... Uh, person we're going to be looking at this morning, when he was called, obeyed, and set out for a place that he was going to receive as an inheritance. He went out, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he stayed as a foreigner in the land of promise, living in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, co-heirs of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose architect and builder is God." By faith, even Sarah herself, that'd be Abraham's wife, when she was unable to have children, received power to conceive offspring. Even though she was past the age, since she, was, she considered that the one who had promised was faithful. God is faithful. Therefore, from one man, in fact, from one as good as dead, Abraham was way past the, uh, the fathering age as well, came offspring as numerous as the stars of the sky and as innumerable as the grains of sand along the seashore. They, these all died in faith, although they had not received the things that were promised. But they saw them from a distance, greeted them, and confessed that they were foreigners and temporary residents on the earth. When we have faith in God, we say we have faith we're trusting God to, to act, to keep his promises. We may not always be able to envision how that's going to turn out. We may die before some of that faith that we have, we see it realized. But we keep trusting in the Lord because this is what the Lord has called us to. He says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. Do we want to please God? I think we do, don't we? That's why we're here. We're here because we want to please God. So that requires faith. Now, one of the things that we do that expresses faith is, as Eric said, we, we pray. We pray because we believe that God is good, that God answers prayers. We believe that God is gracious in ways that we do not understand. And because we understand that God has a different perspective than we do, we pray in faith trusting that God will act, but not holding God to say, this is the what you have to do now. We are not God. He is God. 
And so as we pray, we pray trusting that God will answer according to his own purposes. We'll see some of that this morning. Uh, I know all of you come here this morning, as I come here this morning, with different things that are going on in our lives, encouragements or discouragements, strengths or weaknesses, all those sorts of things. And so as I pray, I would just ask you to maybe join with me in prayer, either for some of your own needs or for the needs of someone else that you know is here this morning or someone in your family or someone in your community. I may not know that person, but God knows who you're praying for, okay? I, I know that you know a friend of mine, because uh, I know he's been here to preach several times, Luke Holderby, who is uh, one of the pastors at Community Bible Fellowship, has been diagnosed with cancer in the last few weeks. And uh, if you would join me in prayer for Luke as, uh, as we go together, that would be great. Thank you. Father God, we thank you that we can come to you this morning. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth of your word, that we can trust it, that it is, that when, when we place our faith in you and we learn about you through your word, we thank you that we can know that we are reading things that are true. Maybe not always things we understand. Maybe things that we need a to grow in, we need a, an expanded perspective on, but we can know that your word is truth. So open our hearts, I pray, to what you want to teach us through your word this morning. And Father, you know where we're at right now. You know the needs that we have personally, or maybe the burdens of, of someone else that uh, is close to our heart. Father, I pray that... Uh, that you would intercede. I pray that you would act. I pray that you would uh, bring courage where courage is faltering. I pray that you would bring health where there is sickness. I pray that you would bring um, uh, perseverance where someone wants to give up. I pray, Father, that you would give patience when we're impatient. I pray, Father, that you would teach us when we need to be taught so desperately. Father, I, th I thank you for this church. I thank you for what you're doing here. This is a, a, a realization. This is a visible example of how you answer prayers, that this church is here on Sunday morning meeting in Menonk, Illinois. What a great plan you're working out here. We thank you for that. And Father, I, I pray for my friend and my brother, Luke, I pray that you would watch over him during this time, that you would help him to trust you during this new journey that he's going to be on. I pray for Sarah, his wife, and for the kids. I pray, Father, that you would sustain them through this difficult time. And Father, we just entrust him into your care. We pray for healing. That's what we would like to see. But we know that you are the great God who has a perspective that we don't always see. And so we know that you always do good. We pray, Father, that you would, again, open our hearts, open our minds to what you want to teach us this morning. I pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. <clears throat> we all make choices, don't we? 
Sometimes we make good choices, sometimes we make bad choices, but we all make choices every day. Some of those choices don't matter all that much. Some of them are really, really important. One of the really important choices that we make every day is, am I going to trust God today? Am I going to place my faith in God and whatever comes, whatever happens, am I going to walk in faith with God? Am I going to go down that journey, that place that God has me going? Am I going to walk with him and trust him? Am I going to go God's way or am I going to go my way? Last week, and I'm assuming it was last week you preached on Genesis 13. Okay, last week you saw the story of two men, Abram and Lot. And they both had choices to make. And Abram said, Lot, we're getting to be too crowded here. You make a choice. You go first. And Lot looked at what he could see, and he says, I'll take that part, because that's the best part. That's where I'm going to make some money. That's what he chose. Abram chose to trust God. He said, well, I know that's the best part, and by right it should be mine, but I am going to trust that God will watch over me and care for me when I let Lot take the best ground. Genesis 14 tells us how that all worked out. That's what it does. Somebody made a good choice, somebody made a bad choice. Okay. Genesis 14, I'm going to read verses 1 through 16. Now stick with me here, okay? Genesis 14, 1 through 16. In those days, King... Um, I, you know, I, I told Eric... I said, Eric, I'm just going to charge through this, and I'm going to pretend like I know how to pronounce all these names. And here I am. I get to the first name, and I go, well, blah, blah. okay. I'm going to start again, okay? Genesis 14, verse 1. In those days, King Aramphel of Shinar, King Arioch of Elisar, King Sherdolaomer of Elam, and King Tidal of Goim waged war against King Bera of Sodom, King Bersha of Gomorrah, King Shinab of Adma, and King Shemaber of Zeboim, as well as the King of Bela, that is Zoar. All of these came as allies to the Sidon Valley, that is the Dead Sea. They were subject to Chertolamar for 12 years, but in the 13th year they rebelled. In the 14th year, Chertolamar and the, king who was, the kings who were with him came and defeated the Rephaim in Ashtaroth, Karnaim, the Zuzim in Ham, the Emim in Shavath, Kiriathaim, and the Horites in the mountains of Seir as far as El Paran by the wilderness. Then they came back to invade En Mishpat, that is Kadesh, and they defeated the whole territory of the Amalekites as well as the Amorites who lived in ha Hazazan Tamar. Then the king of Solomon, Sodom, the king of Gomorrah, the king of Adma, the king of Zeboim, and the king of Bela, that is Zoar, went out and lined up for battle in the Siddim Valley against, against king, here we go again, king Sherdolaomor of Elam, king Tidal of Goim, king Amraphel of Shinar, and king Arioch of Elisar. Four kings against five. Now the Siddim Valley contained many asphalt pits, and as the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah fled, some fell into them, but the rest fled to the mountains. The four kings took all the goods of Sodom and Gomorrah and all their food and went on. 
They also took Abram's nephew Lot and his possessions, for he was living in Sodom. And they went on. One of the survivors came and told Abram the Hebrew, who lived near the oaks belonging to Mamre the Amorite, the brother of Eshcol and the brother of Aner. They were bound by a treaty with Abram. When Abram heard that his relative had been taken prisoner, he assembled his 318 trained men, born in his household, and they went in pursuit as far as Dan. And he and his servants deployed them by night, defeated them, and pursued them as far as Hobah to the north of Damascus. He brought back all the goods and also his relative Lot and his goods, as well as the women and the other people. <clears throat> okay, this section I've entitled Faith in Stretching Times. Excuse me. <clears throat> You notice I'm, I sound hoarse? I feel fine, I really do. This is just the way I talk, okay? <laughs> There's a little, uh, I do have allergies. Uh, when, the, when the trees shed their leaves and I have to go out and rake leaves, I, I feel it for a few days afterwards, okay? Faith in stretching times. Now, I taught high school history for a few years before I uh, uh, went on uh, to seminary and became a pastor. So who loves history here? Who's, who would say history was their favorite class in high school? Nobody? Okay. Well, okay, there are one or two of you maybe. Okay. Now, I know this is God's word, okay? But when I read those first 16 verses, especially the first 12 of them, I just thought, this sounds like one of the worst history classes I've ever been in. These are names that I can't pronounce in places that I don't know where they're at. And I can't say the names. The places are unknown. It's four kings against five kings that happened about 4,000 years ago. And my question would be, and this matters because, Right? Isn't that our reaction? You know, why should we care about this? Let me give you just a few facts to kind of maybe put things in context. That's not going to explain the value of this, but let me just give you a little context here for what we just read. There's, there's an alliance of the four kings, okay? They're basically up to the north and east. If we would place them in today's map, where they're from is um, Elam is from the area of Iran, uh, Shinar is from the area of Iraq, and Goim and Elisar are from an area in Turkey. Okay, so figure that, and then figure the Dead Sea area, that's where the five kings were from. The five kings were basically kings of city-states, very small kingdoms, okay? They, had their, they were king over their own city and maybe some of the surrounding area, and they were all in the kind of on the southwestern side of the Dead Sea. Okay, so you have these bigger kingdoms up to the north, these smaller ones down to the south. And the reason there's conflict is because if you want to carry on trade in the ancient Orient, in the ancient East, that is where you went. Through that area that today would be called Lebanon in, in Israel, okay? Uh, if, you, if you wanted to trade with Egypt and the uh, other countries in northern Africa and you wanted to trade goods with people in Asia or uh, Turkey, even going into Europe, that's where you had to go. That was the land bridge that connected those two. So 
if you were in charge of that area, you could lay taxes. You could charge duties for everybody that passed through there. That's what those four kings did. And for 12 years, that's what they did. Now, it got to the end of that 12 years. Those five kings got together and said, we're going to do something about this because we're losing revenue. We're being impoverished. We're being controlled by other people. So they decided to go to war. And so these four kings sweep down to the east of the Dead Sea. They sweep down and then they kind of come back up and they meet on the western side of the Dead Sea. That's where the battle's going to take place, okay? That's where the five kings are defeated in the, the Valley of Siddim. And then finally, we get to verse 12, okay? All that background in verses 1 through 11, we get to verse 12, we say, aha, there's a couple names that we recognize. We recognize Abram and Lot, and all of a sudden we feel a little more comfortable with the text because what we see is that uh, as God is working out his plan in the big scheme of things, okay, the big scheme of things, there's also a tension for little things, for people like us, okay, Abram and Lot, okay, small individuals. And we see Lot who decided to take the best part when Abram gave him the choice in chapter 13, who chose the best land, who chose to go by only by what he could see, and he wanted wealth, and now he's lost it. He wanted to be free from Abraham, and now he's lost his freedom. Okay, And so Lot, all of a sudden, everything is gone. He's taken captive. He's going to be a slave. He's lost all of his goods. He's going to lose his family. Everything he chose is going to be taken away from him. It was a bad choice not to trust God. Well, then Abram, Lot's uncle, hears the news, and the question is, what is he going to do? Right? So as we read in the text there, we say, well, quickly, Abram gathers together an army of these trained men, and he chases the enemy as they're moving out of the area. He chases them up to Dan, which is about 120 miles away. So this is a long pursuit. This is not, you know, let's go march and we'll meet him. This was a long pursuit. They have a surprise attack at night. They rout the enemy. They recapture all the goods and all the people, including Lot and his family. And they're going to take everything back to where it belongs. Now, just a little bit of an aside here, okay? Because I think, you know, while, while the history is interesting to some of us, the picture ought to be interesting to all of us. What did Lot choose? He chose what he could see, right? He chose not to trust God. He chose to, to be wealthy. He chose the, the way that brought him into contact with evil people. And it did not turn out well. So what did he need? He needed somebody to rescue him. Let me ask you. Aren't we like Lot? Aren't we people that generally at some point in our life have said, we are going to go our own way? That's what the Bible tells us we've been that way. All we like sheep have gone astray, right? We've sought our own way. But what does God do? He sent a rescuer. He sent one to rescue us. Now, that's not the point of the text here. But in the history, we see what God does for people like us. 
We were separated. We made bad choices. We turned our back on faith. We trusted in ourselves. And God says, I will come to rescue. I will come to That's what Jesus is all about, right? He came to rescue. The old hymn says, rescue the perishing. That was us. Okay? So we see this. Okay? But now, think about Abram for a minute. Why? This, this was a, a stressful, stretching time for Abraham. Why should he round up his men and go in pursuit? Well, it's his nephew for one thing. But, you know, Abram could have easily said, it's not my fight. It's not my fight. Abram and his allies were not part of the coalition of five kings. They never were attacked by these four kings that came in from the north. But Abram made a choice to pursue. But this was a big risk. This was a big risk. He had a small army, and Lot did not seek his good. Why should he care about what Lot hap- what happens to Lot? Because Lot wasn't worried about what happened to him when he chose the best land. And we're never fully told in the text why Abram pursues the enemy to get Lot back. But I think... It has to do with Genesis 12. Because in Genesis 12, God says to Abram, this is going to be your land. This land is going to belong to your descendants. This is where I am going to bless you and watch over you and grow you. And Abram says to himself, I think, if this is where God wants me to be, I've got to make this land secure. I'm going to trust God and go in pursuit. And that's exactly what he does. It's it's a great exercise in faith. It was stretching for him. It was hard for him. But he stepped out in faith. I don't think it's easy for any of us to trust God when times are stretching, when they're hard, is it? Do you ever find that difficult? Maybe it's some financial setback or some health setback or something in the family or just Think of the times that we've lived through in the last couple of years. Isn't it sometimes difficult to trust God when we're being stretched? I was a pastor at Eureka Bible Church for 20 years. Shortly after I got there, in the mid-90s, there were a couple, in fact, it was the former, one of the former pastors of the church, Andy Flutterer, Andy and Kathy, and their family, they had three kids at the time, had become missionaries in Albania. I went later and visited them in Albania. Albania was not an easy place to live, okay? It was not. It was a difficult place to live. It was difficult language, difficult people, no exposure to the gospel for the last uh, 40 or 50 years. It was just a hard place to live. But they had decided that God was telling them to, to go to that place, to bring the message of the gospel. So they went there, and they were, they were doing what God called them to do, and then troubles broke out in Albania when they were there. I mean, serious troubles, like Civil War-type troubles. Bullets were flying-type troubles. And before it got quite to that point, Andy and Kathy prayed about it, and they said, I think what God is calling us to do is to trust him Kathy will take the kids and go back to America. They got a flight out. And Andy was going to stay with a couple of other missionaries. And they sheltered 
And we talk about sheltering in place, right, during the COVID thing. They were sheltering from bullets that were flying outside their doors. Why did they do that? Because they said, if we're going to have any future here, we have to make good choices now. We have to trust God through this. And they build up tremendous credibility for the gospel because during the stretching times, they chose to trust in God. It was not an easy choice. In fact, it was a hard choice. It was a choice that some people would have called foolish. But like Abraham, taking off in pursuit of a larger army with those 318 men, he said, that's what we're going to do. We're going to trust God here. Now, probably most of us are not going to get caught up in a civil war in some foreign country and have to make a choice like that. But what do you do when you're stretched? When you feel like, I don't want to be here. This is not what I signed up for. This is difficult. This is hard. Can you trust God in those times? Can you look back and see the promises that God has made to us, like Abram did, and say, I am going to step out in faith and I am going to follow what the Lord has for me even when it's hard. Isn't that what God calls us to? Without faith, it's what? It's impossible to please God, isn't it? It's impossible to please God. So when we face difficult times, God says, just, just trust me. Trust me. Let me meet your needs in unexpected ways. Let me show up in your life. Let me show you the way. I, I know you've been through those times, as we all have. So that's, that's difficult, isn't it? Faith and stretching times. Well, let's read the next section, because now we're going to read about faith in successful times. Kind of the opposite, okay? Faith in stretching times, faith in successful times. Starting in verse 17. <clears throat> After Abram returned from defeat and shared a Laomar, I have troubles with that name. And the kings who were with him, the king of Sodom went out to meet him in the Shaveh Valley, that is the king's valley. Uh, Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was a priest to God Most High. He blessed him and said, Abram is blessed by God Most High, creator of heaven and earth, and blessed be God Most High who has handed over your enemies to you. And Abram gave him a tenth of everything. And the king of Sodom said to Abram, Give me the people, but take the possessions for yourself. But Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have raised my hand in an oath to the Lord, God most high, creator of heaven and earth, that I will not take a thread or a sandal strap or anything that belongs to you, to the king of Sodom. So you can never say, I made Abram rich. I will take nothing except what the servants have eaten. But as for the share of the men who came with me, Aner, Eshkel, and Mamre, they can take their share. Faith in successful times. Abram, as the, the leader of the, of the group of people that took off in pursuit of Lot and all the rest of the residents of, of Sodom, they defeat the enemy, the people and the goods are recovered, and they return back. It's about 120 miles they chased them. It's about 120 miles they got to come back. How long does that take when you're probably walking a lot of the people? You know, it's going to take a week or two anyway, isn't it? 
to make that time back. What do you think is going on when they're walking all the way back to the home area? They go, hey, Abram, give me a high five on that one. You're the guy. You're the man. We're so thankful for you. We wouldn't have made it if it hadn't been for you, Abram. They're patting him on the back. They're lifting him up. He's the hero, right? He's the hero. And when that happens, I think Abram faced a bigger test of his faith than he did when he took off in pursuit during the stretching times. You know, remember in in Luke chapter 4 when the devil comes and tempts Jesus? What does he do? Does he threaten Jesus? He doesn't threaten Jesus with hard times. He says, you worship me and I'll give you the kingdoms of the earth. Right? Because wealth and success and prosperity is often a bigger challenge to our faith than deprivation and disease and loss. Maybe you've noticed that as well. It's hard to trust God when things are going exactly the way that we want them to go, isn't it? Well, south of what is Jerusalem today, the king of Sodom, Bera, comes out to meet the returning hero, Abram. There's also a second king who just kind of pops into the story, a guy by the name of Melchizedek, who's the king of Salem, which is the present-day Jerusalem, and he also comes out to greet him. And there's two, diff- two very different approaches that these two kings have. Uh, Melchizedek comes out. His name, this is very interesting, his name means the king of righteousness, or the king is righteous. And he brings a gift, right? He brings bread and wine. It's a sign of, of goodwill to Abram. He's, we read that he's a priest of the God Most High. Interestingly enough, that's one of the names that's used elsewhere in the Old Testament for the true God, for the God of Abraham. So he comes out and he's the priest of the God that Abraham believes in. Now, no, I want, a couple things I want you to notice here. This is so crucial. Melchizedek is a Canaanite king, isn't he? He's from the land of Canaan. And when I was here last, we talked about the curse on Canaan. So Melchizedek is a king from one of those groups of people that God says are going to be cursed. And what is he here? He's a worshiper of the one true God. See God's grace in that? See God's plan being worked out? Even people that we might have been led to believe we should write off. God says, I've I've still got a plan. I've got my people. I'm going to work things out. So Melchizedek is this example of God's grace, and he's a priest, meaning not only does he believe, but he's leading other people to believe in the one true God. And he kind of comes into the story and he leaves the story. This is the only time in the Old Testament history that we read about Melchizedek. We don't know anything more about him. He, he kind of comes in and he disappears just like that. No birth, no death, nothing to note about him. Except in Psalm 110, which is talking about the Messiah that's going to come, Jesus, says he's going to be a priest like Melchizedek. You go to the book of Hebrews, 
chapters 5, 6, and 7. He says, you know, you know what Melchizedek does? He reminds us of Jesus. He points us to Jesus. Because Melchizedek, we, we, we don't see any genealogy. You know, where did he come from? What about this? What about that? Where does Jesus come? He comes from another place, doesn't he? He doesn't have any beginning or end. He's, he's born in Bethlehem, but he existed before that. He, he reminds us of Jesus because his name is the King of Righteousness. Well, who is our King of Righteousness? Isn't that Jesus? That's one, our righteousness, our acceptance before God. He's the King of Salem, which means peace. Who is our Prince of Peace that we read about in Isaiah chapter 9? Isn't that Jesus? Who is the one who gives a gift? It's Melchizedek. But who is the one that is the gift? Isn't that Jesus? Okay. So all of this, you know, the, the writers in the New Testament, they see this. And God leads them to write these things down. This reminds us so much of Jesus. This man that was just in the, in the Old Testament. And, uh, and so when Melchizedek comes out, he speaks his blessing over Abram. He says, Abram, you're blessed by God most high. And then what he says is really interesting. Verse, uh, he says, verse 19, Abram is blessed by God most high. Who is God most high? He's the creator of heaven and earth. In other words, he owns all things. All things are his. And he says, and blessed be the God most high who has handed over your enemies to you. You see what he's saying to Abram? He says, Abram, don't believe your headlines. Who did this? God did it. You didn't do it, Abram. You were his instrument. But God did this. Have you ever thought that way? You ever had to remind yourself maybe when things are going good and you know, you're having some success and the wind is in your sail and you start maybe being tempted to pat yourself on the back a little bit and say, well, I'm doing pretty good here, aren't I? We need somebody to whisper in our ears, look at what God is doing. Because our temptation <laughs> is not to trust God in the good times. I think personally it's a greater temptation than trusting God in the bad times. To be able to trust God in the good times, to be able to say with humility, God, this all comes from you, and I am so grateful. I'm so grateful. And so Abram responds to Melchizedek by what he says. We said, you know, the, he gives him a tenth of all the spoils of war. They were his by right. And uh, he's saying, Melchizedek, what you're saying is true. It's God who gives the victory. He's the one who deserves the honor. He said, without faith, it's impossible to please God. And Abraham shows us without humility, there's not going to be any true faith. Because without humility, we don't acknowledge our need to God, do we? So the second king comes out and we'll just, he kind of gives a demand. He says, you keep the stuff, give me the people. He doesn't bring a gift. He doesn't bless Abram. He doesn't say thank you. He doesn't say, you know, you've done a wonderful job here. And Abram's response to him is dramatic. He says, I made a promise to God. My God, who is God most high, who is the creator and owner of all things, is going to take care of me, and I would rather trust him than take anything from you. Because God is the one who gives victory. 
and no one else. I'm going to depend on him and no one else. I was at, the, at a movie recently. Uh, and you know how that is at the movies. You get all these previews of all the coming attractions. I, I noticed, it was, it was interesting, there was going to be a movie coming out, I think in December sometime, on the life of Kurt Warner. Remember who Kurt Warner is? He was a great football player. He played for uh, St. Louis. I don't know if that's a problem with any of you, but he was, <laughs> he was a great football player. He's not a team in St. Louis anymore. They moved to Los Angeles. Uh, but he, was, uh, he just has a wonderful story about... Uh, he, uh, he, he did not have a, a great college career, uh, but he had one kind of breakout season, his last season. He was hoping to be able to go into the pros, and that wasn't working out. And he was trying, you know, arena football and all these other things. He was stocking groceries in a grocery store. That's what he was doing. And he, he got this big break. Yeah, they got a tryout, and he able to sign with St. Louis. And he went on to become, to lead St. Louis to three Super Bowls, to be named the most valuable player in the NFL. And in 2017, he was inducted into the NFL Hall of Fame. Amazing Christian man. Now, it's so easy. If you can say all of that, if you have all of that on your resume, and say, look what I did. I just needed to persevere. I just needed to stick with it. I knew I had the talent all along. But this week, I listened to Kurt Warner's acceptance speech when he was inducted into the Hall of Fame. What a gracious, God-loving man. He spent all of his time thanking other people for how they had had influence in his life. And at the very end, he gave glory to God. He said, this is, this is God's doing. This is not my doing. This is God's work. It is so difficult, so difficult to trust in God when we feel like we might not need God, right? When things are going well. And that's exactly when we need someone like the Holy Spirit or a good friend to whisper in our ear, don't forget who brought you here. Give glory to God, because without faith, it is what? It's impossible to please God. So God calls us to, to trust him and to have faith in him, no matter what our situations in life. He's going to take us through hard times. He's going to take us through times where everything seems to be going well. But Jesus is showing us the way. He's given us all we need, and so... Whether we're going through difficult times right now or whether we're going, you know, this is, this is the way life is supposed to be, right? Everything's working out well. What are we called to do? We're called to keep turning back to Jesus. Because without faith in him, it's impossible to please God. Let's pray together. Our God and Father, we must confess that so often we, something bad comes into our lives and we get, we get frustrated, we get angry and say, you know, why does this have to happen? And God is telling us, uh, child, I'm, I'm calling you to trust me here. 
Or sometimes we go through times where we just feel like, oh, this is the way it's supposed to be. I'm, I'm getting attention. I'm getting accolades. I'm, things are working out well. All my hard work is paying off. And we're reminded that whatever success we have, whatever goodness has come into our lives is only because of God's gracious nature. So Father, we pray. We pray that this week that we would walk by faith. Whether we're going through a good time or a difficult time, that we would say with conviction, God, I need you. I trust you. I want you. Let me walk with you through this period of my life for your glory, for my benefit. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.